So good, guys, to be together. Well, hey, we're continuing our series on worldview. We've been in a series for the last many weeks, several weeks, about worldviews called War of the Worldviews, talking about the way we see the world. Now, worldview, just to give you a recap, and if you haven't watched these messages, go back, please go on YouTube. And I think we're going to make these available on another platform at some point. And I, I'll, the staff's like, what? But I'll talk to everybody about this. But I want you to go and review and, and watch these because th- these are foundational, really, for how to think and believe like a Christian. Um, we live in a world of a lot of, of um, signal-to-noise ratio. You know, it's like the signal doesn't really get through the noise. But we live in this world that's very confused about truth, very confused about belief and the application of belief and really just kind of being integrated in who you are and what you believe. And so we've got people that say, well, I'm a Christian, but they don't really serve the Jesus of the Bible. It's like a different kind of makeup of a, of a Jesus of their own invention. We have people that are, you know, saying, well, well, I'm, I'm a card-carrying Christian, but they're not really true to the, to the truth and doctrine of Scripture. And so worldview just really matters. And I want to encourage you to lean into this and go, okay, what do I believe and why? You know, you need to be able to answer that question if you're a follower of Jesus, am I really following Jesus? What do I believe and why? So critical. Now, worldview is how we interface and interact with the world around us, and it, in, it impacts everything that we think, that we say, that we believe. And it's not what we see necessarily, it's how we see it. It's the lens by which we view all of life through, okay? So I shared this story, I think, many messages ago, but I'll share it again. I, when I was 15 years old, or 14, I don't remember exactly, it was too long ago, my mom noticed that I needed glasses, so she took me down to Walmart, and I had my eye exam, and they do the puff of air and all that stuff, and then when the glasses were ready, I went in there, and they put the, the lenses on my eyes, and I remember walking out into Walmart, and it was like, wow, I can see the rollback signs at the back of the store, you know, and nothing about the store had changed. What had changed was my ability to see it, and now I had clarity, and that's what the right worldview will do for you, is it gives you clarity on how the world and how the universe actually is. And so it really matters. We want an accurate worldview. In the same way you don't want a bunch of of mush and gross and dirt on your windshield when you're driving down the road, we don't want to have a distorted, inaccurate picture as we drive uh, forward in life. Worldview really matters. We want accuracy. We want clarity. We want something that has explanatory power for our experience of life in this universe that we call home, Okay, that actually explains both the physical and the metaphysical, the natural and the supernatural, the logical and the emotional uh, tangents of life, okay? That's what a worldview needs to be able to explain. And as Christians, specifically for people that are following Jesus, we want to see the world and see ourselves and see other people as God has actually created it to be. Now, in Isaiah chapter 55, the Lord is speaking to his people And he says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. How many parents have said this to their kids this week? Hey, I'm at a different level than you, right? Buster, listen. I had to give that one of those conversations to my kids, right? Bless their name. Okay, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine, he says. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church in in Rome. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. How does God change us? By changing how we think. Everybody knock on their head right now. How does God get through to you? He has to change how you think because your old and busted, faulty thinking has brought you the results you have in life, both good and bad. Okay, The way you think shapes 
how you live, and that's your worldview, the way you think. When God transforms us, when he changes the way we think, we learn to know God's will, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, you want to get into alignment with God's thoughts and do, I think as uh, I believe it was St. Augustine said, to think God's thoughts after him. We want to get into that slipstream, that flow where God is seeing something, thinking something, and we come alongside and we think like God. Now, I know a lot of us maybe think we think like God, but we don't. We need to get in alignment and think like God, have the humility to say, you know what, I need him to upgrade my world. I need him to upgrade my thinking. So really quick, as we recap, we've gone through three big questions. And the three big questions are fundamental questions of worldview um, that every worldview has to answer and actually is answering by default uh, or implied answers in what they believe that are all interconnected, okay? So these build on each other. They they go together. These are the three questions. One, what is real? Two, what is true? Three, what is right? The first question is the question of origin. Where did this universe come from? What is the nature of reality? We talked about that in the Christian worldview. We believe in God, who is the creator of all things, yet himself uncreated. And I gave a lot of scientific and uh, otherwise explanations for that in the message about this, what is real. We believe in God, who appears at the dawn of history. For us, when we come on the show, you know, into the show, God was already here. He says, let there be, and there was, right? He creates. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created us. He created all things. That is the answer to what is real. Number two, what is true? This is the question of truth. We spent a lot of weeks on this camping on this because this is the linchpin. This is the hinge point upon which worldviews really really move and kind of do their thing is this question of truth. Now, we talked about that we believe that truth comes from God, that he is there and he is not silent. He has spoken to us through the scriptures and he's spoken to us through his son Jesus who showed up that we can have a personal relationship with via the Holy Spirit. We believe that God reveals tr- truth primarily through scripture and we live out and wrestle with that truth. In other words, we, we get it integrated and kind of activated in our life as we have this dynamic relationship with Jesus. So without, uh, you don't get Jesus without the Bible. If you're a Christian, you're like, oh, it's just about Jesus. No, it's about the Bible revealing Christ to you so you can have a relationship with the real Jesus, okay? Because you can't make up a Jesus and go, well, this is the Jesus that feels right to me. And I, you know, I, drink, I have my lollipop. And this is the Jesus that feels good to me. No, you need to interact and engage with the real Jesus revealed in Scripture, the Jesus that affirmed Scripture, okay? Because when you read the Scriptures and you see Jesus, he affirms the Scripture. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You're not going to find a Jesus who disagrees with the Bible. So you can't go, oh, I don't like the Old Testament. We're going to throw that out. That's the Bible that Jesus read. So what Jesus do you know if you're throwing out the morality and the goodness and the, the justice of God? Okay, I could preach on that all day, but I'm not going to. So there's no Jesus without the Bible. And then there's really no activated biblical truth without Jesus empowering it. See, so you have a lot of people that are like, well, this is what scripture says, dot, dot, dot. And they lay it out, but there's no love because there's no relationship with Christ and they miss the mark. So there's this dynamic interchange in the area of truth between proposition propositional revelation in scripture, statements about God, about reality, about truth, about ourselves, about the world, that we say, I believe it, I receive it, because it comes from God. It's that revelation of God, but also in this dynamic relationship with a living Savior that you can know and interact with, okay? So it's a lot there, but hopefully you caught something. Just grab something out for yourself. So truth really matters. And as we pivot to this third question, the third question, what is right, which is going to be our focus for today, I want to refresh your memory that truth is sort of the foundation upon which morality sits and and upon which it rests. 
Uh, For instance, in Isaiah chapter 59, it says this, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off for truth is fallen in the street. When truth falls, justice fails. When truth is in the street, laying in the ground, beaten and bloodied, when truth is down, when it's, when it's broken, when it's, uh, when it's thrown aside, when it's cast down, th- there can be no possibility of justice. It says equity cannot enter. Fairness, equity, equality, it cannot come in when truth is not elevated. So truth fails, the verse says, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. When people are actually trying to run away from the wrong thing, they become the prey of the predator of injustice and human wickedness that always overflows out of the heart of man because truth is cast down. Now, when we talk about truth, again, we're talking about the scripture and what the scripture's prescription is for life and for love and for justice. We're talking about the scripture and its revelation of Jesus to us. And we're talking about knowing Jesus and him as our Lord and Savior and the, the judge, jury, and, and uh, all things of truth, revealing truth to us through the Holy Spirit. When that falls, when truth falls, justice fails. There can be no morality, there can be no right without righteousness coming from the king of righteousness, coming from this place of truth and recognizing God in his rightful place, recognizing the law of God, recognizing the truth of God, allows us to live in the goodness and righteousness of God, which is the way humans were intended to live. So I want to ask you this question. Have you ever just thought, especially in the last few months, man, there's something wrong with the world, right? What is wrong with the world? And I know this is usually, it's wearing a face because you go, what's wrong with this person? What's wrong with those people? What's wrong? We tend to kind of cast that away from ourselves, right? It's easy to tell when somebody else has bad breath, but it takes somebody that loves you to tell you when you do, right? It's easy to sort of recognize Sometimes I'll be laying on the pillow, you know, and I breathe and I, and I kind of get a whiff of my, my own uh, uh, output there. And I'm like, whoa, my wife really loves me because that is nasty. You know, and I go brush my teeth. But, but a lot of times someone that loves me has to say, hey, you need to check yourself before you wreck my life. Okay, this is how it works in the area of morality. What is right? And that's our focus today. Okay, so that was a lot of introduction, but we're going to get into some good stuff. What is right? Now, two facts real quick, two things. One, everyone is moral. Right? Everybody cares about right and wrong. Um, number two, we believe that some behavior, that is moral values and moral application, are better than others. So if you go out and you do a man on the street video, you just start talking to random people, you go, hey, are you for or against Adolf Hitler? You're probably going to have a hard time finding someone who's going to admit to you, they're like, man, Hitler, he was misunderstood. He had a lot of really good things. Like, no, he, he's a bad dude, right? We, we, we kind of agree Um, Joseph Stalin, you know, do we think that Joseph Stalin was a good guy or a bad guy? If you were to weigh their deeds, right, on a scale, did Hitler do more good in the world or or more evil? And I think it's really easy to say, well, more evil. So what what that is representative of, why I bring that up, is that we all recognize for ourselves there are some things right and wrong, and we we know there is a line by which we can measure and say one of these behaviors is worse than another. If you walk around on the street and you go, well, are you pro-murder? People be like, no, nah, I'm against murder. Um, I'm not for it. We, we tend to, to believe in the, the sanctity of life. Now, there's a lot of disagreement that flows for, down as we go further down the ladder. But, but what I want to make clear, and I, and I believe you're going to agree with this, is that we do recognize morals. Even people who would say, I believe in subjective morality, when they're pushed, they're making a morally objective statement, even believing in objective mor- subjective morals, because what they're saying is it's morally uh, good that we believe in subjective morality. 
You have to think about that for a while. But it's um, flawed logic. But people, what they're really saying is, I'm for subjective morality. They are objectively for that as an absolute truth. Okay, so when we take these two facts in, it, it brings a simple question. How do we differentiate? How do we know what is right or wrong? Now, because I'm a Christian, I'm going to speak to you from the Christian worldview about this, the answer to this question. And, but, but also, as a Christian, I don't believe there's any other way to view this that actually makes sense of this universe we call home. Because we live in a world that we recognize and we sort of intuitively feel and know is broken. You know, that the things that go on, even if we in our darker moments participate in them, we, we, we intuit or we know this isn't the way the world should be. We shouldn't have racism. We shouldn't have prejudice. We shouldn't have injustice. We shouldn't have lying and fake news and all these types of things. We, 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 we all actually want, by and large, the same things. We disagree about the mechanisms of how to get there, but, but at a very broad level, we understand there is something wrong with the world. But I believe it's only in the Christian worldview that we have a true explanation of why it is we feel that way and what the actual prescription is for that problem. Number one, in the Christian worldview, or let me rephrase that, in the Christian worldview, there are two primary ways, okay, and we're going to look at these two, that we discern between right and wrong. Number one, the Bible, and I mentioned this, this is revelation that God has spoken to us, but let's get a little bit more detailed on this. The Bible does have moral imperatives, moral commands, and you're familiar with this, that God gave Israel the Ten Commandments, right? And we, most of us know at least two or three of them, right? Most of us have broken at least two or three of them, but God said, hey, do not lie, do not commit adultery, right? Do not, uh, do not break the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath holy. He, he says, do not murder, right? We're kind of familiar, or thou shalt not, and we, we, we get that. Those are moral commands. Jesus, when he comes on the scene, he says, hey, I can actually boil down the law and the prophets, including the Ten Commandments, to two commandments. And he said that you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that might sound easy. You might be like, man, it's so refreshing. Jesus is grace. It's so easy. His burden is easy. His burden is light. You know, he just boiled it all down. Oh, wow. Love God. Love people. It's so easy. Wrong. The standard of grace is far more severe than the standard of law. The standard of law is very specific. Don't murder. Jesus says, hey, you actually shouldn't even be angry at people in your heart. Basically, if you're angry in your heart, that's what murder really is. Murder is basically the full-grown oak tree of the acorn of anger and rage and hatred. So the standard of grace is that God wants to change your heart so you're not even motivated to do the things that would lead you to break a Ten Commandments. So it's actually not easier. It's far more difficult if you're doing it in your own strength. And I'll just leave that nugget out there for you. But Jesus says... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Basically, love God with everything you are. Now, I don't know if any of you that are Christians could say honestly that you do love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, because I, I can't say that today. To be honest with you, I can't say that I love God completely, 100%, max, the, max, out, max it out on any of those categories, heart, soul, mind, strength. I don't. So there's a pursuit there. But what Jesus is saying is that's the standard of morality, that you would be fully loyal, fully invested, fully worshiping, fully in love with God, with his ways, with who he is, with his character, with his nature, and that you would love other people to the standard of how you would love yourself, to, to even give everything to, to love other people, and that we love God even by the way that we love other people is what Jesus is saying. Now, again, it sounds easy, but it's certainly not. But that's the first way that we discern morality, that we discern right and wrong, is through the scriptures. We look into the scriptures, we say, what are 
the moral imperatives. So just to give you a framework, if you're making a decision and you're like, should I do this thing or should I not do it? Ask yourself this. Does this uh, resonate with loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving my neighbor as myself? If it doesn't, don't do that thing. Okay? It's pretty simple as far as a moral command goes. Should I punch this person in the face that's making me angry. Let me go through my framework here. Is this loving God to do this? Is it really adding to my love of God? Not really. Is it loving my neighbor as myself? No, it's really not, okay? So when we're able to, to take that, that it, morals are not super complex, okay? Just those two right there tend to cover the vast majority, 99.9% of human behavior, right? you can ask yourself those questions. Now, I'm not saying that we always get it right. We sometimes ask those questions and still do the wrong thing. But that is moral framework. We get it from the Bible. The second area, though, that we see, even from the Christian worldview of where morality comes from, is our conscience, right? We have an internal compass of morality. This is in everyone. And the scripture actually says that God put it there, right? It says in Romans chapter 2, Verse 14, Paul's writing to Jewish people. He says even Gentiles, those outside of the faith, who do not have God's written law, in other words, they don't have the Bible, they don't have scripture, show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it. Even without having heard it, they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. And what Paul's saying very simply is this. Even people that have never read the Bible know the difference between right and wrong based on their conscience. God has put it inside of them, that moral compass, that when we are off track, it points us back to true north, and it says you're not going the right direction, okay? So there, and this is why nobody can say, well, this person's never heard this, so they're not guilty. No, because they do know. Um, A person can never hear the words, do not murder, and know that it's wrong to end another human's life out of anger or rage, okay? So what Paul's saying here is that we've got this internal compass. It's there. Now, to illustrate this, anybody that has kids, you never had to teach your kids morality. You're going to hear these words, it's not fair. It's not fair, right? How many parents are like, I never want to hear that again? It's not fair. Why did Jack get this? Why did Evie get this? Why did this person, I called shotgun. Why do they get to sit up here? How come they get a candy and I, all I got is a popsicle? I don't want vanilla. I want chocolate. It's not fair, right? And, and why, are they, why does it's not fair come out so naturally and easily for little kids? The reason is because they intrinsically know by conscience that there is a fa- something that is fair. If I am recognizing when someone has crossed the line, I am implicit. Uh, I'm, I am uh, implying that I understand that there is a line in the first place, okay? So this is what's happening when kids say it's not fair. We all understand morality from this internal way, right? So because of scripture, because of our conscience, th- these are the two areas that the Christian worldview talks about. Now, to illustrate this a little bit more, I want to read you kind of a long quote from C.S. Lewis. It's the opening lines of his book, Mere Christianity. And there's a cuss word in it, so I just want you to understand it's not me cussing, it's C.S. Lewis, and if you're mad, he's dead, so don't get offended. All right. Everyone, he says, everyone has heard people quarreling. Sometimes it sounds funny, and sometimes it sounds merely unpleasant. But however it sounds, I believe we can learn something very important from listening to the kind of things they say. They say things like this, how'd you like it if anyone did the same to you? That's my seat. I was there first. Leave him alone. He isn't doing you any harm. Why should you shove in first? Give, you a, give me a bit of your orange. I gave you a bit of mine. Come on, you promised. People say things like that every day. Educated people as well as uneducated and children as well as grown-ups. 
Now, what interests me about all these remarks is that the man who makes them is not merely saying that the other man's behavior does not happen to please him. He is appealing to some kind of standard of behavior which he expects the other man to know about. And the other man very seldom replies, to hell with your standard. There it is, folks. Nearly always he tries to make out, make out, make out that what he had been doing does not really go against the standard, or that if it does, there is some special excuse. He pretends there is some special reason in this particular case why the person who took the seat first should not keep it, or that things were quite different when he was given the bit of orange, or that something has turned up which lets, lets him off keeping his promise. It looks, in fact, very much as if both parties had in mind some kind of law or rule of fair play or decent behavior or morality or whatever you like to call it about which they really agreed. And they have, and they have. If they had not, they might, of course, fight like animals, but they could not quarrel in the human sense of the word. Quarreling means trying to show that the other man is in the wrong. And there would be no sense in trying to do that unless you and he had some sort of agreement as to what right and wrong are just as there would be no sense in saying that a footballer had committed a foul unless there was some agreement about the rules of football. Okay, so it's a brilliant example. What he's saying is we, we, in the words we say, they condemn us that we recognize that there is such a thing as right and wrong, that there is such a thing as an absolute standard of morality. Now, there can be variation. There can be, there can be uh, shades of gray, so to speak, but we recognize that there actually is a line somewhere, and that is the point that I'm making here today. So the question for us then, as Christians, we talked about scripture, we talked about, we talked about conscience. Why should the Bible, though, be our source for morality? And I just want to get very clear about this. Okay, if you are a Christian and somebody says, how do you determine what is right and wrong? And your answer is not immediately from the scripture. You have gotten off track somewhere. And I'm going to prove that to you as we go through this message, but you have gotten off track. If you say, well, it's the Bible, but. No. Because the problem with that is when you lose the anchor point of Scripture as the moral foundation of your life, you have to replace it with something else. And every other answer is bankrupt. And I'm going to talk about this as we move forward. So, why should the Bible be our source for morality? From gotquestions.org, this is a great little answer, and it's a great article if you want to read it. Go to gotquestions.org. Why should the Bible be our source for morality? It says, if the Bible isn't the Christian source for morality, then the question needs to be asked, what should be? What should be? The Christian worldview is based on two foundational axioms. God exists, and God has spoken to us in the Bible. If these two presuppositions aren't the starting point in a Christian worldview, then we're just like everyone else, trying to find objectivity in a sea of subjectivity. Without the authority of God existing and speaking to us from Scripture, we don't have a foundation of truth, the same foundation that Jesus said, if you build your life, when the storms come, you won't get swept away. Without that, we don't have that foundation. All we have is preferential subjective morality in, a, in the morass, in the bewildering blizzard of concepts, ideas, and all of that. So you see why we've talked about truth so much. Because what we believe is that when we know that we have truth in Christ, truth in the scripture, it actually gives us the application of how to live in the moral area, what to actually do with our life. So if we reject the Bible, what then? What are we left with? And I want to just give you a couple things. Number one, we have to ask this question then, is morality subjective? Is it just preferential? Is morality just what feels right to you? Because in our culture, this is what a lot of people live like. They live and they go, well, I'm not hurting anyone else, therefore, you know, therefore it's fine. 
well, number one, you're admitting that hurting someone would be morally bad, so you actually still recognize the line. It's nonsensical, right, to, to think this way. But actually, a true subjective morality would be the worst thing the world could ever go through. It's completely unlivable. I was watching a YouTube video, and a young man gets up, and he's going to stump Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias went to be with Jesus, uh, and he's a great light, uh, an incredible minister of the gospel, just a wonderful man, so able to answer the deep questions that people have about Christianity and so on and so forth. And this young man, he, he comes up, and he, he, he's very arrogant as he approaches the microphone, and he says, you know, you guys have been talking about objective morality and, you know, exclusivity of truth and all this kind of stuff, and he says, what are you so afraid of? He goes, I, I know for a fact that if, if there was no God, there was no Christian church and none of the Bible, you didn't have the Bible, that people aren't just going to immediately start acting like animals. They're not just going to run out and start raping and pillaging and murdering. So what are you so afraid of? And he goes through his kind of, you know, arrogant sta- stance. And Ravi gets up with a gleam in his eye and a smile, a little, you know, a smile on his face. And he asks him, do you lock your doors at night? And the guy goes, Yes. And he says, what are you so afraid of, right? Because he just immediately undercuts the full abstract argument and brings it down to, to the ground floor level, which is that we know for a fact that people, when given an opportunity to do the right or the wrong thing, very often choose to hurt people, steal from them, do the wrong thing. And you can't deny that. And even if you have the honesty to look into your own heart, you recognize that you, even knowing what's right, still choose to do what's wrong but the, but the only thing that really prevents a lot of the nasty stuff that you and I would actually do is the fact that inside of us, we know it's not right. There's something that holds us back. Why is the world, why can we live in our planet at all? Even, even though we know there's something's wrong with the world, there is still so much goodness and actual lawfulness and, and people living the right way and protecting each other and helping each other because of the fact that we feel and know that morality is not so subjective. And then Ravi goes on and says, look, anytime we've pulled apart the Christian worldview and, and given societies and cultures the opportunity to create their own morality, we've killed more people in the 20th century than we were killed all, all of human history before by these kind of uh, atheistic, get rid of God uh, institutions like Soviet Russia and communist China. If you're sitting here today in, tw- in 21st century America going, man, we need to be more like these places where they got rid of God and, and they had subjective morality. Read a history book. Don't even read your Bible. Take your devotional time and go read about Mao Zedong and go read about Joseph Stalin where he killed 15 million of his own people and made Hitler look like a schoolgirl. What are you so afraid of? I'm afraid of human wickedness and the overflow because it's inside of me. We've gone looking for Frankenstein's monster and we knocked on the door and when you opened it, you were looking back at yourself. That's what we're so afraid of. So no, perhaps if there wasn't the overlay of religion and all of that, would people instantly go and act like animals? It's because there's this intrinsic recognition. But morality, no, my friend, is not subjective. We recognize that it's not. There is a line and we know that. We need to be intellectually honest about it. So if you reject the Bible, is that where you're going to go? It's kind of like saying, well, I'm not going to eat at this restaurant. Well, where are you going to go? Where, where, I don't like the hamburgers there. Where are you going to go? Okay, you have to replace it with something. Then we have to ask this question, is morality social? Is it about social consensus? If, if, if more people think something is right or wrong, does that change it? If it's just more popular to think that something is right or wrong? Because that's how our culture is at right now. We, 
Right now, if you make a post about one particular issue, you're going to get celebrated. You make a, 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 make a, a post about another issue, you're going to get crucified. And I'll let you figure out which one. Because it changes all the time. Right and wrong aren't social. Real morality, real, really the line is not de- determined by the crowd. It's not determined by what most of us think. It's determined by God. It's determined by the objective standards from his moral character. The person that created the universe, like the person that designed a Mercedes-Benz or BMW, gives you the owner's manual, says this is the kind of gas it takes. This is a gasoline engine. You don't put diesel in it. And yet we go, well, I don't, I don't, I don't accept your owner's manual. I don't accept your morality. I will put the fuel in my own life that I want to put in. And you live with the results. Okay? So if we reject the Bible, then we have to replace it with something else. And this is what I want you to understand. There is no such thing as neutrality or the absence of belief. The absence of belief is replacing it with something else, and you have to live with the ramifications or you can go insane and live in complete cognitive dissonance. And a lot of people do that. So those are your options. So let's apply this today. This message on morality. And we're going to go eat something delicious, which I believe is right. Okay. <laughs> Number one, as Christians, and, and for all of us, our first responsibility to take this message, right, is to deal with our own stuff. To have humility and surrender to Jesus and recognize, like it says in Romans 3.23, everyone is sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Because when you know, man, when you have truth, it can lead you. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up, okay? Knowledge by itself, just knowing what is right, does not mean that you're living righteously or make you a righteous person. Our first response should be, I'm a sinner saved by grace and and I run to Jesus. All of us are sinners that need a savior, Knowing what is right doesn't make you righteous any more than staring at the moon makes you an astronaut. In both cases, you're going to need a lot of help to get there, right? Knowing what's right, seeing the truth is like the astronaut staring at the moon. You've got to get a rocket ship to get there. You have to get in the rocket ship of God's grace to become righteous. You, you need a lot of help. And that's the starting place, is a place of humility, not pride. And this is why I think a lot of people have rejected the Christian faith albeit for the wrong reason. They have not been able to actually grab hold of the truth claims of the Christian faith and the love of Christ because a lot of arrogant, hurtful, hateful Christians have kind of blockaded them by using truth as a weapon, not as a, not as a bridge to bring people to Christ. So this is where we have to go with the area of morality. We have to get not arrogant about knowing what's right, but get humble about it and say, man, my first thing is I got to deal with my stuff. I am on the wrong side of the line and I need Jesus. Number two, from that place of humility, we can see that true righteousness comes from Christ. Okay, true righteousness comes from Christ and that we are only saved by the undeserved grace of Jesus. So like the scripture says, there is no one righteous, no, not one. There's no person in the world that was like, God was like, well, they're good and they're good, but I'll send Jesus for the rest. It wasn't like that. Every single one of us have fallen short and true righteousness and true morality It's not coming from a human origin. It only comes from Jesus. And we get it by receiving what he's done for us. Now, even in that, as a Christian who's put my faith and trust in Jesus, I don't always do the right thing. So I continually depend upon Jesus. But this is the posture of a Christian as they deal with this area. And then third, and this is where I just want to get a little pastoral with with you that are part of the church. And I think if you're not part of Joy Church, you can get something out of this as well. But as followers of Jesus... We can't save the world, but we can point people to the one who can. 
You see, one of the problems that I'm seeing right now amongst Christians in our church and around the country and even around the world is that we've somehow transitioned ourselves into the answer rather than pointing to who the answer is and where the answer can be found. You see, whether you are left and liberal or whether you are right and conservative, whether you are somewhere else, whatever, and I know that we're all perfect in our political opinions and Jesus agrees with them 100%, um, no matter what you believe, right? Because you can have a verse and support being a Democrat and you can get a verse and support being a Republican, but Jesus wasn't either, okay? Um, but in the midst of this, we've somehow positioned one political side or we've positioned our opinions, or we've positioned and said, well, if you don't believe this, you can't be a Christian and da-da-da-da-da, and it goes on and on and on. And I'm, I'm trying to be a little vague because I want you to just see yourself. Do not listen to a message and go, oh, this is good for someone else. That is from the pit of hell. This message is for you. And you go, no, I don't do that. Yeah, yeah, you do. We all do. This is a natural human thing to position ourselves as okay and others as not okay. And Jesus always hammered it because it matters. And so we've, we've positioned ourselves as Christians oftentimes on whatever side of the political spectrum. It's not just conservative. So if you're a liberal and you're listening to this going, yeah, I'm glad he's finally talking about this. I'm talking to you. Or if you're conservative going, man, I'm so glad he's finally talking to them. No, I'm talking to you. That when we position ourselves as the hope of the world, as, as the right, uh, you know, the righteous, we know what's up. We miss an opportunity to point people to the real hope. Let me ask you this. Can you save yourself? If the answer to that question is no, which it should be no, then how can you save someone else? If you have continually struggled with sin and you have continually struggled with your attitude and you have continually struggled to be right, even knowing what's right, how can you be the one that helps someone else and saves someone else? And I would propose to you today that you absolutely cannot and that it is a lie that we can. And so what we have to do is get more humble and more gracious and realize that our primary calling as a follower of Jesus is to bring people to Jesus, not to bring people to your liberal social justice politics, not to bring people to you conservative, Donald Trump is the king of the world politics, not to bring yourself to why the heck didn't we get Bernie politics, not to bring yourself to I can't wait till we get somebody. It's not about that. No salvation is coming from the White House salvation's coming on a white horse and the rider that sits upon it. And so Christians, you've got to get a hold of this. Our first and primary calling is to bring people to Jesus, not fight the darkness, shine the light. Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and make sure everybody gets woke. Go into all the world and make sure that we identify who's the oppressor and who's the oppressed. Go into all the world and make sure that we deal with all racism and all sexism and all prejudice and all things. He didn't say that. And Jesus didn't say, Go into all the world and make sure that our borders are secure and go into all the world and make sure that we're fiscally responsible and go into all the world. He didn't say that. You can agree with one of those or all of those or none of those, but he didn't say any of them. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Why? Because Jesus changes hearts and minds. I can't do anything for you. People are like, Jake, you pray for me. I can't do anything for you. I can't even save myself. But I know who can save you because he's saving me. Jesus has the power to change heart and hearts and minds. And all, all we can do is win arguments and get our guy or girl in the office. That's all we can do. Salvation, though, doesn't come from that, that side. It comes from Jesus. It comes when he is made king in the hearts of people, the hearts and minds. And, and, and he even said, my kingdom is not of this world. 
You see, I get really discouraged when, you know, my political side doesn't win or whatever. And that's, that's okay. That's natural. I'm not saying don't be political. Be political, but don't try to make it that that's what being a Christian is about. And I just want to just say this right now. Did you know that it's okay not to post on Facebook? <laughs> Were you aware of that? You, you actually have this ability. It's crazy. You can, like, turn it off and just, like, love Jesus and help people. You, you don't have to do it. You're not morally obligated. You can sit it out. What if instead of being so like trying to convince everyone that they shouldn't vote for Donald Trump or that they should vote for Donald Trump, or what if you were so, instead of being so worried about promoting everything and why it's okay to smash buildings and throw bricks or why it's not, and what, what if instead of that, you were like, you know what, we're all screwed up really bad, pointing people to Jesus. This is what we need. We need to know Christ. We need to know him. What if instead of taking out our pound of flesh out of our fellow Christians in direct violation of the words of Jesus himself, we said, I'm going to sit it out. I'm going to let it, let it calm down a little bit. I'm going to do what I can do, yes, but I'm going to put my primary calling as a disciple maker above my political opinions in Jesus' name. Because Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and make sure every institution conforms perfectly to whatever ideal that society deems to be appropriate right now. He said, make disciples. Get people to follow Jesus, not follow anything else. Jesus commanded us as Christians to love each other. And I, I'm going to bring a rebuke to us as a church. I have followed many of you on Facebook, and you need to stop attacking your fellow members in the church. It will come to a place where it gets addressed personally by me to you. So you just, if that shoe fits you, wear it and get yourself corrected right now. Because we're not going to be a church of people that attacks each other and gets divided and lets the devil take up residence in our church because we're too consumed with our arrogant politics rather than being loving. That is a commandment from Jesus, and that's something that I will personally get involved with. More prayer, more sharing Jesus, more love, more memes, more jokes. <laughs> there are so many good cat videos, you guys. If you need to laugh, look at church milk. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many things. And I want you to hear my heart on this. The devil will use more insidiously when we think we are absolutely right and we have a right to strike. He will use that opportunity more than many other things. So we need to love each other. Okay, I'm being strong, but I'm not apologizing at all. I just want you to know the heart behind this is that I love you. I love our church. God is doing some amazing things. But if you're following Jesus, we have to honor Jesus and go, you know what? I'm making disciples, not trying to convert people to my opinions. So, two things today. You go, man, Jake, you kind of leave it on a little heavy. Yeah, I am, but we're going to go eat good food after, so it'll be fun. <laughs> two things. First, I want to lead us in a prayer of repentance. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is your prayer, and let's pray it together. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you, that I have put political, social issues, my own opinions above your kingdom. Lord, when I have been angry, when I have been enraged, when I have been critical, when I've been caustic, when I've been sarcastic, when I've been demeaning of, of especially my fellow brothers and sisters, but Lord, of anyone, Lord, when I have made other people the problem rather than the principalities and powers of darkness that are governing, when I have looked at other people in this planet as my enemy rather than as someone who deserves to know you, that as a fellow son or daughter, Lord Jesus, we repent. And we ask that you would help us, each and every one of us, to be loving, to be gracious, to be your hands and feet, 
and to shut our mouths unless we're talking about you. To say less of me, more of you. Lord, I must decrease. Jake must decrease so that you can increase. Lord, I must die to myself and take up my cross and follow you. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. And Lord, as, as you forgive me and your grace is so evident in our life every day, every moment, I pray that then you would make me an instrument of your love, a vessel of your goodness, a mouthpiece of the gospel, and that I would spend far more time seeking to promote you rather than to promote anything else or tear anything else down. Because Jesus, we don't need all the change that we can bring. We need the change that only you can bring. So Lord, we repent today in Jesus' name. Lastly, if you were here today and you're like, man, this is cool. We're kind of getting serious. He's like rebuking folks and all that. You know, all of us need to, to find life and hope in Christ. And if that's you today and you're like, Jake, I'm not part of the church or I'm not, I'm not, you know, living right, you have an opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus and join the family of God. It is so amazing to be part of the family of God. And if that's you today, I just want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've not lived up to your standard. Lord, I've, I've done the wrong thing and I've hurt myself and I've hurt others and I've even hurt you. But Lord, I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross. Jesus, you gave your life for me and I give my life to you. I repent of my sin and I put my faith, my hope, my life in your hands. I confess you openly as my Lord and my Savior. And I ask you to give me the grace every day to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you filled out that, or if you prayed that prayer today, I want to encourage you to fill out this card by texting the word DECIDED to 541-229-8848. Just take that next step as a follower of Jesus. Simple and easy, but it's important to do it. Just text the word DECIDED to that number on the screen. Uh, If you want to get more involved at Joy Church and you're like, well, you're scary, Jake. Well, I don't do this every week. So welcome home. We have a card uh, uh, that you can fill out a form. You just text the word HOME, the word HOME to that same number, 541 229-8848, and we're going to get connected with you and help you get involved. All right, you guys, you're awesome. I love you. We're going to see you Wednesday night. See you in Connect Groups right after today, and see you Saturday at Shasta. Have a wonderful day.